Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. It's good to have you guys. If you're a visitor, welcome. We switched it up on you. As Ryan said, we always do meet and greet at the start, and we're trying some new things. And I'll be honest with you, you guys took it well. 9 a.m., I don't think they liked it. I'm just saying. Um, They kind of like their structure, you know. Most of them don't pay attention to the announcements anyways at the beginning, right? And, uh, and so we were like, we're going to throw you up. We like uncomfortability. We like it. And so um, it's good to have you. If you're a visitor, if you're always here, um, it's good to have you as part of the family. We call ourselves that, and, and by default, you're part of that today. Um, we're going to get into part two of a little thing that we started last week about um, two words, um, comparison. So we say comparison. comparison. And now today, contentment. No, that was weak. Contentment. All right, that's better. That was better. So we're going to talk about comparison as we did last week. Now we're going to kind of do its rival or, or, or what it's always partnered with is this contentment issue. And the reason that we want to talk about comparison last week and contentment this week is that we believe that there are things that hinder us from living out our purpose in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment that God has placed in your life as the body of Christ, that there's a couple of things, there's lots of things, but two things that are real big that can war against that are your, are, are your are, are comparison issues. We just don't f- feel like we measure up, don't feel like I'm as good as, whatever. And so we compare ourselves, and then we lack contentment. Where God has us, what he has us in, um, the things that we have, we lack contentment. And so I want to talk about those two things because um, one of the things that we mentioned last week, and I just want to mention this again, is one of the biggest hindrances, and I believe this, I believe that one of the biggest hindrances to being the body of Christ, being the body of Christ where all of us are coming together, working this thing out, we've all got gifts and talents, abilities the Lord has given us, it all comes from Him, is that we struggle with with this thing of lack of understanding of of who God made me to be, that, that God made me, purposed me, and planned for me to be me and live out Him. Meaning that he gifted me, he gifted you with these certain gifts and things, and that sometimes we war in our hearts that we just want something else. I want what they have. I want to compare myself to them. I, I'm not content with what I have. And so we really believe that these two things are a big deal when it comes to the life of, of, of Christ, living out the life of Christ. And that first thing that we talked about last week, we've already gone through that with comparison. And today we're going to talk about contentment, and you can't separate the two. You can't. Comparison, comparison keeps us from contentment. You guys know that? Comparison keeps us from contentment. We started with comparison for a reason because they're tied together in so many ways. They feed one another. I compare myself to other people, then I realize that I feel like I'm lacking, so then I'm not content, and then I'm not content, so what do I do? I compare myself to other people. And it's the cycle that we get in of comparing, not having contentment. Comparing, not having contentment. And so I feel like all of us in this room have, have this struggle in our hearts. Just as we all had that struggle last week, there's, there's this thing that rises up that tries to get us to compare. I feel like we have contentment issues. I'm not trying to beat the same drum, but I do feel like we feed that in the American culture. I feel like the American culture is all about upsizing. Amen? Upsize. Get this thing, man. Let's upsize it. The only time that we ever want to downsize is when we're broke. Do I hear an amen? Right? When we're broke or when we get like older, 60s, 70s, 80s, and we become more wise in our years, and we're like, you know, I think we should downsize. And so in that middle ground in us, there's something in us that, that's constantly at war that's going upsize, bigger, better, badder. Let's do this thing, right? And so there's this thing about upsizing. And so for some of you guys in here, you're probably going, you know, I feel like I'm pretty content in my life. 
Like, I feel like I, I don't really deal with contentment issues until you see that brand new truck on the front of the magazine, right? Then all of a sudden, something starts stirring, going, you know, I, I, I wish I had that truck. Or until all of a sudden, February hits Kansas, there's snow all over the ground, and you see somebody post their pictures, they just went to Florida, right? And then something in you goes, I don't like them. Because we have contentment issues in our heart of going, God has me where he wants me. And so how easy it is to fall into this, I've got to have more, I've got to have better, I've got to do more. And so um, I was thinking about this as I was writing the message this last week. And Christy and I, about 10 years ago, we just had our third child. We have four. We just had our third child, Trace. And um, we knew we wanted to be out on this part of, of West Wichita, Goddard area, because we knew we were going to serve the church here. And so we looked for houses. And we were, we, before we moved in this house over here in Southern Ridge, we, we, we looked for houses. And so we sold our house like within 24 hours. I mean, it was awesome. We lived over off kind of 21st Street. Our house sold just super quick. And we're like, God, you're so good. We're going to find a house really fast, right? And so we, we packed everything into one of those, like, used store kind of storage units, right? We sent it off to be stored somewhere. And we took what we believed would be a week or two worth of supplies, and we packed them into two totes, right? So totes about this big. We took me, Christy, three kids. We packed this into two totes, and we're like, it's just going to be a couple of weeks, Okay. The first week rolls by, second week, first month, second month. We're trying to sign on houses. People are backing out. I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to do? Ten months later, we're still living with my folks, all right? I'm a grown man, right? My, I feel like, like in that moment, I'm like, you know, and I'm, I mean, it's my folks, and so we're in the house. I'm like, you know, mom still cooks. This is great, right? And... And so I'm okay, and, and I'm, we're, Christy and I are working through it, and we're like, well, don't worry, babe, we'll find a house. And she gets to that kind of place, and I'm at that place, too, of going, we've got to find something. And she's at this place of, get me out of here now. I love your family. Get me out, right? And so we're in that moment of just going, Lord, what are you, like, what are you trying to do? And so the Lord, uh, you know, we blessed us. We found a house over there. And here's what I realized in this whole season. We had lived as a family of five out of two totes. And I'm sitting here going, it's madness. So then we move into our house. And what do you do when you move into a house? You fill it. You get, you buy, you get, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here as I'm writing this contentment message going, Lord, I remember when we were content with two totes. <laughs> I don't know if we were content. I remember when we lived out of two totes, right? <laughs> I'm just not going to lie to you, all right? But that's what we had. And yet the Lord blessed us in that moment just like he's blessed us in these other moments. And then I realized that for a lot of us in here, what happens is we start to struggle. We start to get stuck. And in our minds we think, I just got to change. If I can just change my life, I'll be better. And here's what we do. We get into that moment of going, I'm just going to buy a house. Because if you see all the ads of people who buys houses, they're always smiling. A house is going to bring me contentment. Or you see somebody who, you know, you, you go, I'm just, we're just, let's just have a baby, all right? A baby will bring us contentment. Because you see the families, right, and they're holding their newborn and they're smiling like, this is, this is good, life is good. And so you're like, a baby's going to bring me contentment. Or if you're super, super spiritual, you buy a house and you have a baby at the same time, right? And you're like, we're going to be so content because you see families with new babies in front of their new house and they're smiling. And you're like, it's just not real, amen? It, it's not real. What you see in that picture is a lie from the pit of hell. Come on. <laughs> like what could go wrong that's what we're thinking what could go wrong and here's why because we think that next thing that next thing if I could just get into a new thing somehow 
it's going to bring contentment to my life. And I, I thought about this even with the Bahamas, you know, in the hurricane. And here are these people, they lived in this paradise and, you know, just beautiful people go there. And now I'm looking at the pictures of destruction and these people who had a paradise in front of them, this is what they find contentment in. Can you just give me a bottle of water? I just, that's all I need. I just, a bottle of water would be like the greatest thing I could ever have. Can you just put a shelter up for me? And you begin to realize that until everything is stripped away, you don't realize what we really have. Amen? And so as we get into this today, I want you to know that I think there are some lies about contentment that I want to address and then kind of work through these a little bit. And the first thing, the first lie that I want to address real quickly is we look at people that we think have contentment in their life and we think that they're just born with it. We think, some, oh man, they're so, they must have just been born with contentment in their life. You, nobody is born content, okay? Nobody is born content. Contentment isn't something that we're born with. It's something that we learn. It's something that we have to cultivate in, in, in our hearts. We're going to talk through that here in just a minute. The second lie that we've got to address today is that contentment is found if God would just give me this one thing. If God would just give me this one thing. If, if I would just be a lot better if God would just give me blank. And if he can just fill in your blank, whatever your blank is, if God would just give me that, I'm going to be so much better in life. I'm going to find contentment. And you guys understand that the blank just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because there's just something else that's going to war for that spot to fill in, in in the blank. John Stott, he wrote this about contentment. I thought this was good. He says, contentment is the secret of inner peace. He said this. And he's talking about Jesus here. Contentment in Jesus is the secret of inner peace. Our enemy is not possessions. Our enemy is excess. Our battle cry is not nothing. We're not sitting here going, God, would you just strip me of everything? We're not, we're not saying, like, I want to live in a box under the bridge. Nobody's saying that. Our, our, our battle cry is not nothing, but our battle cry is, you're enough. <laughs> Jesus, you're, you're, you're just simply enough. We, we find you enough. You're enough for our life. And so, so today, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 4. And I want to show you something here. Um, about the root of contentment, I think, issues that we have in our heart. James chapter 4 says this, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? What, what's going on in your life? Why, why are you so restless in your life? Why do you quarrel? Why do you fight in your life? Why are you restless? And he says this, don't they come from the evil desires at war within your spouse? That's not what it says, amen? Some of you are going, I don't have that translation. Let me read that again. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within? You. you. Don't, isn't that restlessness of your heart and the quarrels and the fights, isn't that something that's because of something going on with the war that's within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight, you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you, everybody say pleasure. Pleasure. So here's the deal. Why am I so dealing with discontentment in my life? Because there's a war in your heart that you want what everybody else has. 
And here you have a father in heaven who's going, no, I want to give good gifts to my kids. I want to bless my kids. And so what I'm doing is I'm looking around going, man, God, I want what they have. And I want what they have. And I want what they have. Not what you have for me. I want what they have. Because somehow I believe if I can get what they have, that it's going to bring me pleasure. I'm not looking to bring you pleasure, God. I'm looking to bring me pleasure. And so then James kind of skips down in verse 6 and he goes, let me give you the answer to this. Here's what's happening in your heart. Let me give you the answer. And here's what he says. And he, God, he, God, gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble, somebody say humble. Humble, humble yourselves before God. You want, you want the answer to a, a lack of contentment in your life? Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Listen to this. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. Come close to him. He will come close to you. To you, it, there's not this huge formula of how to get discontentment out of your life. If you struggle with contentment issues, James gives us the answer. There is a war raging for your pleasures in your heart, and he's saying, you want to get rid of it? He's saying, draw nearer to Jesus. It's simple. Amen, church. Draw nearer to Jesus. Not step one, step two, step, you know, step three, step four. He's saying, draw near to Jesus, and as you draw near to Jesus, he'll draw near to you. The answer is Jesus. This is why one of the, when I read this scripture, it absolutely wrecks my heart, because he's basically telling us that the war that's raging in our heart is real, our contentment issue is real, and the answer is Jesus, and so here's the problem. So now I'm dealing, when I'm dealing with discontentment, basically what I'm saying is, here's my discontentment, and here's Jesus, and I think that something else is going to fulfill me better than him. That's the root of it. And we struggle with contentment because we struggle with trusting God in all things. If we're being real for a moment, it's not a struggle. you're not struggling with contentment of being single. You're not struggling with contentment that you don't have the job that you want or the pay that you want. You're not struggling with contentment because your bank account's not overwhelming you right now. That's not the struggle. The, the struggle in, in, in your heart right now is that somehow you feel like God's withholding. That, that somehow God, he's, my God, you're blessing them and them and them and them and them. Why aren't you blessing me? Why are you withholding from me? And we've got this mentality, and here's why. Because from the time that we're young, you've watched the infomercials, right? So I'm going to give you this product, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And so we have now taken this mentality that God, the God of heaven, that what he's given us, his love, his grace, his identity, that he's poured that into us, and we're waiting for God to say, but wait, there's more. And so when God doesn't do that for us, but we see that somebody else feels, that we, we feel like they're blessed in some other way, and we're like, oh, God, I know them. They shouldn't be blessed, right? I've watched that guy. Ugh, don't bless him. I've watched her shady, right? We, we all of a sudden become the, 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 the person that's trying to tell God who he can and can't bless. Because we feel like we're the ones that deserve, but wait, there's more. And so we started to treat God in that manner, but wait, there's more. And all we have to do is look back at Genesis, and we see some roots in this, where if you remember God creating the world, 
beauty. He, he, I mean, he places his best things in the garden. And, and then all of a sudden he takes Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden. And he, and he says, look, you're not going to toil. You're not going to sweat. Enjoy it. Like, work it. Have fun together. Like, I'll be the object of your obsession. Have a great time and enjoy it. And, and they have everything that they need at their disposal. They're content in God. They're content in God. They're trusting God. They're depending on God. They're obeying God. They're believing God. They're freely submitting to God. They're delighting in God. And you see in this moment, there's no higher ambition for Adam and Eve. There's nothing else that's warring in their hearts. There's no higher ambition but then to be the Lord's and to do his will. That's what they're after. And they're loving it. They trust God to the fullest measure of who he is. Hearts were content because they belong to God alone. And then we know the story. Genesis 3 slips in there. And we see the created thing, man and woman, being challenged by Satan. And what he's really challenging them with is just kind of this idea of going, one could argue that's really a contentment for their hearts. You could say it's pride, you could say, and it is. It's all those things. But it's really a contentment. And so what they do is they listen to the serpent, and the serpent begins to speak into their ears a distrust for God, and a discontentment begins to sink in. They're, they're just, he's basically the infomercial guy saying, but wait, there should be more. And so Satan's whispering into their ears. There, he's, he's literally breathing into them this, this, this dissension in their hearts that maybe God is withholding. Maybe. He's not even saying God is. He's saying maybe God's withholding. So if you read the story, you know he's sitting there and he's telling, telling Eve these things. And Eve's like, no, 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 God, no, God's good. Like he made all this stuff for us. He's, all of this stuff is for us. He's given us all of this so we can enjoy and delight in him and spend time with him. And it's just amazing what God has given us. And then the serpent being crafty is like, huh, well, can you eat this fruit right here? He's like, no, we can't eat that. That's not, that's the, we can't eat that. Huh, man, are you sure that you can't eat that? It kind of sounds like God's withholding from you right there. And something happens in Eve in that moment. She begins to question the contentment of what God has given her. She begins to sit there and process for a minute. And she's looking at the fruit. He's like, does it look good? I'm, I'm, you don't, don't eat it. Does it look good? She's like, yeah, it looks good. It looks appealing. You think it tastes good? She's like, yeah, it probably tastes good. I've never had it, you know. And he gets her to basically come into this place where she sees it, looks at it, it looks good. Everything that we know about contentment issues, and then all of a sudden, we know the story, she takes it, she eats it. And all he did was just get her to a place of believing that somehow, that what God had already given them was, was that he was withholding something else. And so you could argue that the first sin in the Bible, I mean, pride, yes. You know, all of those things. But you could argue for mankind is this discontentment of the blessings that God's bestowed upon us. And that's what's at the bottom of, of discontentment, if you're a note taker. What's at the bottom of discontentment is our failure to believe that everything we need, we already possess in Jesus Christ. Let's say that again. Everything that we need, we already possess in Jesus Christ. So when discontentment comes into our life, it gives birth in our life then to chipping away at our worship for God. Listen to this. This is so good. 
as, as I was reading about worship for God and discontentment and what that looks like, when discontentment comes in, it gives birth in our life to chipping away at our worship for God. You cannot worship when you're ungrateful and discontent. You can sing songs. Greater than the mountains that's in front of me, you are greater, right? You can sing songs all day long. You, you, you can play an instrument if you want to. You can come and you can shake hands. But you cannot give worship to God when we have ungratefulness and discontentment in our hearts. And here's why. You can't do it. They're at odds with one another, are they not? Sitting here in this moment going, because worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done through us in Jesus Christ. That's what worship is. We're responding to God and we're saying, God, we give worship to you for who you are and what you've done in our life. You've redeemed me and saved me and blessed me and called me by your name. And here I am saying, that's not good enough. So in my heart, when, when I'm discontent and I've got some issues in my heart, what I'm telling the Lord in that minute is, I'm not really going to give you worship. So here we are, created in his image to simply give him worship and praise and glory. And we're saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because those two are at odds with one another. Like, I just want to address you today as the body of Christ, okay? If you're a believer in this room today, this is for, this, this is for you today, if you're a believer in Christ, and if you're visiting and, and, and you have never met Jesus and you're in here and you're ticked that you're in here today, <laughs> I, want, I want you to know, like, I completely understand. If I, if I didn't know Jesus, this would war against me. I'd be like, if I didn't know Jesus, of course I'm going to chase after everything. Of course I'm going to run after everything. I, I am all in to getting mine, building up mine going after mine, but if you've said yes to Jesus in this room today, if you have ever confessed at any moment of your life that you know you can't do it on your own and, and Jesus is it, in that moment what you're declaring is that in Christ we found the greatest treasure. We've simply found the, the greatest treasure. Like we don't need to chase after other things because he is our greatest treasure. And, and, and here's, I was thinking about this in, in Psalm 23 as I was kind of thinking about the greener pasture. You know, the whole looking for a greener pasture on, on the other side. There's always a greener pasture, amen? We always think that there's a greener pasture. And I'm thinking about in Psalm 23, maybe that's why it says, he makes you lie down in green pastures. Like he makes you. Like the picture that I have is, is God going, green pasture. <laughs> like you're trying to put your kids to sleep at night? You're like, lie down. Nobody puts their foot on them, hopefully, right? <laughs> Maybe, all right? But it literally, it says, like, he leads, you're reading Psalm 20, he leads me beside still waters. <laughs> he makes me lie down in green pastures. And here's why, because we're lying down in green pastures and we're going, there's, there's this greener God. <laughs> there, but there, and he's, get down there, right? And I feel like, I don't know if that was his heart in that, but I feel like there's like this, maybe he's speaking and leading us into that, right? Of going, stop looking around at everybody. I'm going to make you lie down in your green pasture. Because you're always going to be looking at everybody else's, thinking that it's greener on that side. There, there's a reason that it says he makes you. He's not giving you a choice. Lie down, be content in your green pasture. So what it's doing is it's exposing our heart. And what's in our hearts. So real quickly, Matthew chapter 20. 
Matthew chapter 20. I'm just going to read this quickly. We're just going to finish up with this here in just a few minutes. But in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16, um, we see this parable that Jesus shares of a vineyard owner and some workers. And we can see something rise up in these guys' hearts when it comes to contentment. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in, for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. And for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out, see, I saw others standing in the marketplace. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and three and five. He did the same thing. Still others were standing around at five. Why are you standing here and doing nothing all day? He says, because no one has hired us. They've said in verse seven. And he said to them, you go out and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, so when those who were hired first came, they expected, somebody say expected. They expected to receive more. We were here at six, we were here at nine, we were here at 10. And so it says they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They begin, note that, they begin to grumble against who? The landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not I am not being unfair to you, friend. Ah, love that. He uses the word friend. He doesn't come again. Look, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius, a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired, I want to give, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Look what he says. Or are you envious because I'm generous? Let me just set this up. The disciples, right before this, they'd been walking together, and they were talking about everything that they'd given up. Oh, we've given up this to follow Jesus. Peter, what'd you give up? I gave up this. John, what'd you? I gave up this. And they were basically talking about all these things that they had given up to follow Jesus. And so in their minds, I think for them, they're probably thinking, like, what's this going to do for us? Like, what, what are we going to get out of this thing? We're all in. What's going to be our reward? So Jesus, instead of telling them what their reward is going to be, Jesus shares this parable with them. And basically he's saying, there's this vineyard, got these jobs open, these guys are sitting in a marketplace, they have nothing. They don't have a day's wage at this point in time. They're sitting there, who knows how they're going to feed their families, and it says this owner comes in and says, I'm going to hire you for a day's wage, a denarius. They're stoked, they're glad that somebody is for them in this moment. They had nothing, now they've got a day's wage. And so in this moment, when the pay time comes, and the owner starts with the guys who came last, and he pays them a denarius, a day's wage, like he promised. Now you can imagine in that moment what these other guys are feeling. You started at 6 a.m., this other joker comes at 5, and he gets the same amount as you. Let me just ask you, true, true story right here in this room, how many of you guys would be ticked at that? All right, good, no liars in this room, right? This guy came at 6, this guy came at 5 p.m., and you're going to pay them the same? And so everything, again, that wars inside of ourself, as James says, looks at that and says, that doesn't make sense. 
So Jesus goes on and he's explaining what this looks like. He says, I can't believe that you know, this guy's going, oh man, he's going to give us. In this moment, these guys that showed up early, they're watching the denarius be handed out from the guys that were at five and three. You know, and they're probably thinking, oh, how much more is he going to give us? Oh, he's going to, let, he's going to give us like ten, ten denarius, right? He's going to pour it out. And then they get one. And that's why it said in the word that they expected to get paid more. Of course, when it comes and he gives them that one denarius, they're furious and they grumble. They're not content. They had nothing. They were given what they were promised and now they're not content. The owner asks, did you not agree to work for denarius? And he calls him friend. Let me tell you, he's exposing the heart of grace in this moment. I came to you. You didn't, you didn't seek me out. You didn't walk out of the marketplace and find me in my vineyard. I came out of my vineyard. I found you. You were laying in the market, standing in the market, sitting in the market. You had nothing, no way to take care of yourself, no way to feed your family. You literally said, no one will hire me. Nobody chose you. I came and I chose you, and then I told you that I would give to you. I told you that I would take care of you. I gave to you when you had nothing. I'm true, and I'm honest, and I'm gracious. And then essentially, he's asking the question, are you mad that I didn't pay you enough, or are you mad that I'm generous? Let me tell you something, church. These guys were fine until they saw someone else get something they didn't have originally and felt they deserved more. These guys were fine. They were like, we'll work for Daenerys. We're in. Thank you. Thank you. You were so generous that you hired us. They were fine until they saw somebody come a little bit later in life and get the same thing. Then the generosity that they were once fine with, that they once celebrated, now becomes a generosity they're condemning. How dare you? How dare you do that? What happens is this initial gift becomes a sense of entitlement. Somebody say entitlement. I deserve. I'm entitled to more, God. Do you know what I do for your kingdom? Do you know how hard I work for you? You know how many dang Bible studies I attend? You, you know in your mind. You're like, maybe if I just attend one more, like the Lord's going to bless me a little bit more. If I just go to that one more, if I just go to that one more, if I just go to church at least three Sundays out of the month, God's going to bless me a little bit more. And the minute that that initial gift of God's grace becomes something that you're entitled to, that you had nothing, he extends the free gift of grace, and now you're looking around going, you better bless me more, because I know these people, you better bless me more. The minute that that begins to sink into our hearts, all of a sudden God becomes unfair. When we compare and we lose contentment, God always seems unfair. It's the heart of Jonah, church. It's the heart of Jonah. Jonah wasn't ticked that he had to get on a boat and travel somewhere. He was ticked that God called him to go tell the Ninevites that they could receive the grace of God for their life if they would repent and turn from their evil ways. And Jonah, knowing that God was generous, knew that if they did that, that God would bestow his generosity upon them and give them his grace. Jonah was angry because Jonah was like, this grace that you've given me, undeserved God, this grace that you lavished upon me, they don't deserve it. They do nothing for you. In fact, they come against your people. God's going, am I not the landowner who can give to whoever I want to give to? Did you come find me? No, I came and found you. 
And you want to tell me that you're not content with that? Last week, we said that the sin of comparison is poison and robs you of joy. And it robs you of seeing God's generosity because we fix our eyes on what everybody else has and we don't. And then we believe that they get good things and somehow we're left out. And it creates this mentality in us of lack. I'm just lacking. Let me just tell you, church, if we're believers, we do not live in a mentality of lack. Amen? We just don't. We, we need to stop that mentality of lack. If we're living in a mentality of lack, that there's, there's this constant feeling that we lack something, I'm just missing out, I just wish I had, that's a dangerous place to be when the grace and love of God has been a free gift to you. And he came and he found you. You didn't come find him, he found you. He sought you out. He's the landowner, amen? And I see this, you know, your kids give you the greatest picture of, of scripture. I see this. Christy, the other day, she was making chocolate chip cookies for the kids. She makes good chocolate chip, chip cookies, I'm telling you. And, and, you know, no chocolate chip cookies, perfect, right? So, you know, all four of our kids line up. She begins to kind of put one on, on each other's napkin. They are just so, mom, I can't believe you're doing, thank you, mom. We love you. You're so sweet, mom. Oh, I can't believe you're making us chocolate chip cookies. And she's laying them down. You know, they're all excited. Like, this was a surprise gift. They didn't expect it, Right? And then it gets, I believe it was to Tyson. And Tyson's like, wow, mine's bigger than your guys's. And I was like, this is not going to go good, right? Chain reaction. What? I need two so that mine equals the size of Tyson's, right? Well, you better give me three because Trace was a jerk the other day, right? Trinity's down there. She's already reaching in and just snagging them all, right? <laughs> That's how we are. We look, we're, in that moment, nobody told them that they were going to get one. It was a surprise, it was a gift, it was out of the love of their mama's heart for them. And one word, huh, mine's bigger than yours. <laughs> How dare you give them a day's wage, right? <laughs> you and I are struggling with being content primarily because of our level of trusting God and what he's given you. We're not struggling with being content, as we said, because we're single or, you know, because of our job or because we want to be single or because of our bank account or our living arrangement. We're single because we struggle to fail to see and trust God and his generosity that he's given us. So how do we develop a heart of contentment? Let's close out with this real quickly. Contentment has to be nurtured. You're not going to fall into it. It's not just going to come on you all of a sudden. Oh, you're not going to stumble into it. It has to be contended for. You have to contend for contentment. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.11, his famous verse, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. Somebody say learned. learned. To be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Somebody say learned. Learned, learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then he throws out the verse, everybody tattoos on themselves, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And now we see how we rip that out of context. We see how we take that, and we tell our son or our daughter when they're in sports or whatever, you're going to hit the ball because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they, and they strike out, and we're like, oh, I don't know what happened, right? Kind of a thing. Now we see how we've ripped it out of the context in that Paul wasn't saying that all of a sudden you're going to be the best baseball player or, or best, best at band or whatever it is that you're going after. In this moment, he's saying, look, whether you have or you don't have, Jesus is enough. 
Whether you get or you don't get, you've been blessed beyond measure. Paul's going, when I'm naked, he's good. When I'm clothed, he's good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I can fail because Jesus Christ strengthens me. I can fall because Jesus Christ strengthens me. How could he say that statement? Because he knew that contentment lies not in what he has, but in whom he belongs to. It's big for us. I want you to understand, Paul doesn't, he's he's not giving a preference to which one he has. This is key, real quick. I know you guys are looking at your cloth. The Chiefs play today. Who cares? Let's be content, all right? (laughs) I do care. Somebody said three. Good. All right, we'll make the game. Look, look, Look right here. Look. Paul doesn't give preference. He says, I know what it's like to live in abundance. I know what it's like to live in need. And then he doesn't turn around and say, and I choose abundance. No more than he says, like, I, look, I'm going to take a pious position. I choose, give me poverty. He doesn't say that. because I know what it's like to live in abundance. I know what it's like to live in, in, in poverty. And he's saying all of it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the reality of life. Both of those are going to come upon my life. And I can still be content because of Jesus. It's irrelevant. Your circumstance will change on a weekly, monthly, yearly, seasonal basis. You'll change. Things are good, things are bad, things are good, things are bad. But your contentment can be in Jesus Christ. Constant all the time. Psalm 139, 36. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Philippians 3.8. Paul says, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as trash, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Real quickly, how many guys know who Andrew Luck is? Last story. Andrew Luck played for the Colts. This is a quarterback who was given over $100 million over his playing career. There's an article that just came out. And this article came out a few weeks back before the season started, right before the season started. Andrew Luck was, was, was primed to make a hundred plus million dollars for this next contract. He would be set for life. Everything was going to be good in Andrew Luck's life. It was just going to be absolutely going. He was at his prime, 28, 29 years old, 10 more years he could play. He was in the top tier echelon of quarterbacks. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm going to retire. Any Colts fans out there? In that moment, you're probably thinking, you jackwagon, right? What, you're, what are you doing to my team? I just drafted you in fantasy. What are you, what are you doing? Andrew Luck in that moment was willing to give up that million plus contract. He was willing to give up the fame. He was willing to give up the clout. He was willing to give all of that up. And I was reading the article and listen to what it says. This is the quote from him. He says, I've been stuck in this process. He hurt his shoulder. I haven't been able to live the life that I want to live. It's taken the joy out of the game for me. And the only way forward for me is to remove myself from football and the cycle that I've been in. Then he goes on, he says, and then all of a sudden I wasn't on the football field and I felt completely empty. It was very unhealthy, first for me, Second, for the relationship with my now wife and my other relationships. 
the result of his shoulder injury that caused him to not be able to be on the field, he said, the result of the shoulder injury has been the best thing that could have ever happened to me. This guy was primed. Set for life. Kids set for life. I mean, primed. And he's going, the best thing that ever happened to me is I blew my shoulder. Because I've been in this cycle. This cycle that steals my joy and robs my contentment. How many of you are in a cycle where you ebb and flow with however God is good or not good or good or not good, and you think for a moment that God wants to withhold from you? So as we close out, let me ask you this one question. What's the one thing separating you from joy? Not happiness. What's the one thing separating you from joy? How do you fill in the blank? I will have joy when... I will have happiness when? When I'm healed, when I'm promoted, when I'm married, when I'm single, when I'm rich. How would you finish that statement? I will have contentment, joy, happiness when? And then I want to ask you this follow-up question. If that never comes for you, if that ship never sails, if that dream never comes true, if that vision never comes out, could you still find joy in Jesus Christ? Is He your all in all? Is He your obsession? Because I'm telling you right now, church, this is the game changer for us right here. When we can have godliness with contentment, Scripture says it's great gain. When Jesus is my all in all and I'm content in that, it is of great gain. So I'm going to ask you to stand today. The band's going to close out, and I know we're over time. Thank you for hanging. The altar's going to be open. The sides over here are going to have the prayer team. And if you know that right now contentment is a struggle for you, I'm going to invite you to come and just have your time with the Lord today. Heavenly Father, stir our hearts. You're the one who does the work, God. You're the one who grows it. You're the one who speaks life. And so, God, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's go after it today. for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.